Well, before we open up God's word this morning, let's go before him in prayer one more time. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness, who is our very life. And as we come now we, to the point of the service where we open your word, our hearts are expectant because we know you will be speaking to us in and through it. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open the ears of our heart, that we would hear the voice of God, that we would hear truth, and that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help transform the renewal of the mind so that we can think your thoughts after you, that we could have the mind of Christ. We ask that you would also enlarge in our heart's capacity to love you, God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so incline our hearts now to your very heart, God. Open our eyes to see glory. Open our ears to hear truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. After a long week, Lord, with many ups and downs, Renew and satisfy our hearts with your loving kindness. Lead us into truth. May the words of my mouth being spoken now be pleasing in your sight. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And that's make us more like Jesus. It's in the powerful name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our series in the book of Colossians. Uh, So please take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Colossians chapter four. We are in the home stretch here of this book. We are in Colossians four and today we're going to be looking at verses seven through nine. Oftentimes Christians are referred to as believers. However, in today's society, that seems to be less, a less than helpful way of identifying those who are actually truly disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are not called simply to believe in Christ, but we're called to follow him in everything that we think, say, do, and desire. Which means truly having faith in Christ results in faithfulness to Christ and faithfulness to the people of Christ. Faithfulness is what is needed, but it seems to be what's in short supply among so many who profess to be Christians. The theologian A.W. Pink put it rightly when he said following, quote, other virtues are desirable, but fidelity is imperative. No matter how gifted a man may be, if he is untrue to this trust, he is an offense unto Christ and a stumbling block to his people. Faithful people have always been in a marked minority, end quote. And so this morning, we're going to look at two men who fit the bill, two men who truly embody this faithfulness, two men who the apostle Paul himself called faithful. And as we look at these two men, what we're going to see is that as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to be found faithful in all that we have been called to do by God. I have to share, though, before we dig into this passage, God's word is living. It's not simply just a dead book with historical data that we read and try to mine some good spiritual fortune cookie truths. God's word is living, which means God actually speaks to us in and through his word each time we come and read it by faith. And so earlier this week, I had planned on taking verse seven through 18 because my initial thoughts were, there isn't too much here. It's just a lot of comments Paul's making about men and people who had been faithful with him in the ministry. So I thought we would wrap up Colossians, summarize it, and then next week we'd begin starting our new series. However, God had very different plans for me. 
And as I looked at verses seven, eight, and nine, God revealed that he had a lot of work to do within me. The reason I share that with all of you is by way of encouragement, because I want you to see that sometimes God will take sections of scripture that we least expect, and he's going to knock you right off your feet with them. And he's going to show you things in your heart that you didn't even know needed addressing. And that's what happened this week in verses seven, eight, and nine. And I believe that God opened my eyes to see that there is a truth. There are truths there that our church needs to hear. And so before we do that, just I want one more time to just remind you, as you take up God's word and you read the Bible and you study it, learn to do so prayerfully and learn to prayerfully linger in these words. Because when you linger, you'll be surprised what God will do in your heart and what he'll show you. Don't just read to get through the text. Prayerfully linger there. And if you're reading the word of God and you're walking away from it saying, you know, I really, I don't know. It didn't seem like God really spoke to me through his word. Then you just haven't lingered long enough. Linger there, toil there, labor there until God opens your eyes and opens your ears to who he is in his text. So I just wanted to share that because at first glance, verses seven through nine could seem not like a full message to, to, to many, uh, but that's exactly what we're going to see this morning that it is. So let me read our text this morning, Colossians chapter four, verses seven through nine. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow slave in the Lord will make known to you all my affairs whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will inform you about the whole situation here. This morning, we have two points. Our first point is the faithful servant. We'll look at Tychicus. Little Bible trivia for you. If I were to ask you right now, who's Tychicus? How familiar would you be with this character? This man that Paul's talking about. Truth is up until this week, I'd heard the name but I really didn't know anything about Tychicus. And yet as I studied, I found out that this was a vitally important man of God and he was vitally important to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It was kind of surprising because he's only mentioned five times in the entire New Testament and they're kind of passing comments. There's no long exposition or biography on Tychicus. Four out of the five times that he's referenced it's in the Apostle Paul's letters, and those four references are written while Paul's in prison. But let's get a little bit of an idea of Tychicus here. So turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. This is picking up on after the riot in Ephesus following Paul's proclamation. Now, after the uproar had ceased, Paul, having summoned and exhorted the disciples, said farewell and left to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months, months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, and he, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Phyrus, and of Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us in Troas. 
And we sailed from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days. And there we stayed seven days. This is the first introduction to Tychicus. And he emerges at the end of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. This is during Paul's third missionary journey. What seems to be implied is that Tychicus came to faith in Christ during Paul's long ministry there. Which makes sense because he's from that area. He's from Asia Minor. And so Tychicus now is named among a group of believers here, of Christians. And he accompanies Paul on his journey to Jerusalem. And it's on that journey in Jerusalem where Paul will be arrested. So Tychicus is with Paul upon his arrest. So let's think through what would take place here. That means Tychicus was with Paul while Paul had been arrested. He was with Paul when he was appearing before Felix and and, and Caesar and these different political leaders. He would have been there hearing the slanderous remarks and accusations. Perhaps even on the shipwreck, he was there. And he would have been with Paul in Rome when Paul was awaiting trial. So we don't know much about Tychicus, but what we do know based on that is that Tychicus is a man of courage, he's a man of conviction, and he's a man of loyalty. You don't need much to see that. You don't need a long biography on Tychicus. Just look at where he placed himself and what he was willing to endure for the cause of Christ. Tychicus was a man that endured affliction with the Apostle Paul for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tradition says that he'd become a bishop in Chalcedon eventually. And tradition also says he died as a martyr. So knowing this about Tychicus, we can see why Paul chose him to be his courier, his messenger, his ambassador. It's actually Tychicus who delivered the letter to the church in Colossae. A couple other places where he's mentioned, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, we see another mention of Tychicus. Ephesians 6, 21. But that you may also know about all my affairs, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will make everything known to you. Almost the same words that we saw in Colossians. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 also. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. Simply says, but Tychicus, I send to Ephesus. This is a really important reference though, because the book of 2 Timothy is Paul's final letter before he is put to death for the Lord Jesus Christ, before he's beheaded. And so Tychicus is with him in those final moments. Tychicus is with him before Nero takes his head. He identifies himself with a man that has a death sentence. Again, courage and conviction. You can say Tychicus was an unwavering disciple of Christ. And Paul sends him out to deliver a letter to Ephesus. And the last reference is in the book of Titus, chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3, verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. There's some talk among theologians that when he sent Tychicus there, that Tychicus actually served as an interim pastor, that he preached and taught the word of God and helped the church there. And that's all we know about Tychicus. Those are the only verses. But they're enough to give us a picture of the character of the man. So having that background, let's look now at how Paul speaks of him in the book of Colossians. Colossians 4, 7. Tychicus, our beloved brother. Beloved brother. 
We don't use the word beloved very much anymore. But it's a word that means dear and deep love for another individual, even at the expense of yourself. It's actually the same exact word that God the Father uses when speaking of God the Son. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we read this. And behold, there was a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This word beloved the first eight times it's actually used in the New Testament, it is used in reference to God the Father speaking of God the Son. And so while we could read verse 7, oh, our beloved brother, moving on, we're missing the power and preciousness of this word. It carries deep richness. It's telling us of a, of a type of love that Paul has for this man that's equal to the way the father expressed his love for the son. It's a word we don't use anymore, but we really should recapture and start using again as we talk about one another. And so he says, Tychicus, our beloved brother, Now, this word is a very interesting word, brother. We think, yeah, you know, sibling, which it is. But if we were to take that, the, the original word in the Greek and break it apart, it would actually, the most literal translation would be from the same womb. It's the word adelphos. And so the a uh there denotes unity. And the word delphos means womb. It means, so we're saying They've come from the same very womb, which makes sense when speaking of, 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 of siblings by blood. But Paul is talking spiritually here. Paul is speaking about fellow believers in Christ. And so even the word brother also carries a deep richness to the unity that you and I have by faith in Jesus. You're not simply a believer in Christ like I am. You and I come from the same spiritual womb. You're my family and I'm your family for all of eternity. Brother is not just a general term. It's a beautiful term because We've all come to faith. We've all been given life, the new birth that we hear in John chapter three by the Holy Spirit. And so because all of us are here because of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, we could say we're brothers and sisters that have come from the same spiritual womb. We looked at earlier about Paul, how Tychicus had accompanied Paul through the highs and the lows. Yes, they were brothers by faith in Christ. They really were. But they were also brothers because they had suffered and worshipped alongside each other in all types of scenarios. There is a certain bonding, camaraderie, unity that happens when we worship in spirit and truth together, when we suffer and we endure for the cause of Christ together, that defies human understanding. That means love and fellowship, the, the love and fellowship that God promises us in God's word doesn't come from movie nights and barbecues. It comes from laboring side by side to see Christ proclaimed to the world and Christ formed in one another. I'm not saying those things aren't ba are bad. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Let's do those things, but let's not do those things expecting them to create something among us that God says only comes when we submit ourselves together under the word of God for the saving, sanctifying process in the glorification of Christ. That is how we become true brothers and sisters in the Lord. If we try the world's means of doing that, we cease to be the church and we simply 
become a group of people. There's nothing supernatural about it. Paul called him a brother, a beloved brother, because they were united by Christ and they labored for the cause of Christ together. He goes on then after beloved brother. He says, faithful servant. Faithful. Paul's saying, when I look at Tychicus, I see a reliable man, a trustworthy man, a man who I could depend on no matter the circumstances. What Tychicus was asked to do, he did unwaveringly. He was faithful and he was a servant. A servant, simply somebody who is diligent in service for the benefit of another person. Tychicus gave his time. He gave his talents. He gave his treasure in service to Paul's ministry. Probably gave the best years of his life. The years that we want to really just go and do some things for ourselves. Once I get those good years, my later years, I'll give to the Lord. These early years are for me, not Tychicus. Nope. He, he covenants himself to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. What's important for us to realize is that in order to be a servant, you have to be selfless. There is no such thing as selfish servants. It's a contradiction. And that means there's a, but there's a warning here that I think we need to heed. And the warning is we need to guard ourselves against falling into the idolatry of service. There are some of us who are more given to acts of service than others. Serving can be extremely gratifying. Being a doer is extremely important. We don't want to be simply hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word. But some people find more satisfaction in the doing for Christ than the being in Christ. We like to partner with the right cause. And even if it means suffering, and, and that's okay, because I can wear that badge right here in my chest. We have to guard against that because true God-honoring service must flow from the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. We serve out of our love for the Lord. We don't serve to somehow manufacture love for the Lord. Doing is a very enticing way. To it could be a snare to make you feel as if you're in better standing with the Lord than you really are. Service is the fruit of faithfulness to the Lord. Service isn't the means to it. We do not serve for recognition, but we serve from a heart that loves God. For Tychicus, service to Paul was service to Christ. And if we read Paul's writing, we know Paul would be keeping an eye, a diligent eye on Tychicus. Where's your heart at? So he's a beloved brother. He's a fellow servant. And then he says, a fellow slave in the Lord. The word for, for fellow slave here, it's two words together. It's syndulos, which means with slave. It's showing the unity that Paul and Tychicus would have. The word for slave alone itself would have been doulos. But the sin part of it shows that these two are together in this slave ship. We've looked in Paul's letter to the Colossians at other points of what it means to be a slave of Christ, a slave in the Lord. We always have to remember a slave's sole desire, sole focus is to do the will of their master. 
Notice Paul said, a fellow slave in the Lord. Not a slave to Paul. Just in the Lord. Paul may be imprisoned in Rome, but he's a slave of Christ. And what's interesting about this is this is Paul, right? Like this is super apostle Paul, right? Written all these letters known throughout the Roman Empire. Among the believing community, Paul, by some, would stand head and shoulders above the rest to some people. It'd be like when you go to a conference and you see your favorite preacher. That's just a man like I'm a man, but people respond differently when they see them. But by Paul saying fellow slave, Paul is knocking down that celebrity pastor, celebrity Christian mentality that so permeates today. I can't imagine Paul being okay with lines wrapping around the room to want to come talk to him for five minutes after his last sermon at the session. I can't imagine Paul would be okay autographing people's Bibles like some people ask of their favorite preachers. Paul would say, no, you and I are fellow slaves in the Lord. By saying this, he's showing me and Tychicus are equal. I'm not above him. I'm not better. I maybe have been given more responsibility from the Lord. But you could make the case that Tychicus has just as much responsibility, if not more. Tychicus has to take these letters. He has to travel by sea, by land. He has to walk hundreds, if not thousands of miles on feet. There's robbers. There's persecutors. Paul says, no, we're fellow slaves in the Lord. Don't think more highly of him than of me. If you're going to think high of anyone, think high of the person we are in slaveship to, the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true for all of us. We are all slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though we've said it before, every time we come to it to the scripture, it bears repeating. This talk of being a slave is one that is not popular in today's culture. It's viewed as an offensive and oppressive term. And as a result, so many Bible translations don't even render it slave. They render it servant or bondservant. But the words always meant slave. That's exactly how Greek speaking, Greek reading believers in Christ would have understood it. As slave. That means you and I do not have the right to take God's word and soften it to make it more palatable to the people. Slavery wasn't beautiful back then. They would have been more acquainted than any of us are with the horrors and atrocities of, of bad slave owners. And yet Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, still said, my fellow slave. Because he wanted to make sure everybody knew what I'm doing and what Tychicus is doing is an absolute service to our master. And because he says that, we have to realize you don't become a Christian and then after a little bit decide to make a deeper commitment. You know what? I'm going to take that next step. Been a Christian for a while. I'm going to take that next step. I'm going to become a disciple now. And then after for a little bit longer, you know what? Did the Christian thing, did this? I'm going to take another step. I'm going to take a big step. I'm going to go from disciple to slave of Christ. I'm all in now. That's not how that works. The minute Christ saves you, he owns you. You don't become a Christian, then a disciple, then a slave. No, the minute God regenerates your heart and gives you spiritual life and you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and are justified and adopted into his family at that very moment the papers are signed christ owns you you are disciple and slave of his so if you are a follower of jesus this morning then you're a slave in the you're, a, you're you and me we're fellow slaves in the lord what paul said of tychicus we can say of one another we're fellow slaves in the lord the beauty is that jesus is a perfect loving gracious merciful omnipotent omniscient, jealous master that we can rest in and serve freely.
But if that idea that you are a fellow slave in the Lord Jesus Christ, if that is something that you're like, no, I disagree, then I would incur, I would tell you, you need to go read your Bible again. You're disagreeing with what God has said in his word. You can disagree all you want. It doesn't change things. And the more you disagree with the God's word, the more it may show that you actually aren't in the Lord. Because the word Lord itself means master. He owns you. You guys aren't business partners. He, you were bought with, the scripture says you were bought with a price. And so we see here, this is what he says of Tychicus. Tychicus is an example of a faithful servant. He is a beloved brother, a faithful servant, and a fellow slave in the Lord. He goes on to say, which will make known to you all my affairs, whom I've sent you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Other thing we see of Tychicus here, he's an encourager. In the midst of the Colossian church, dealing with false teachers at every corner, dealing with potential divisions in the church, Paul says, I'm going to send Tychicus to you. He'll tell you about our circumstances, and he's going to encourage your heart. Tychicus is, to, is going to relate to them everything that God has been doing in and through the ministry of Paul and how the gospel is spreading victoriously, even though Paul sits in a prison. And so we have to rightly understand the word encourage. There's perhaps no word being more abused and perverted in churches today than encourage. Just be an encourager. What people really mean by that is be a really good cheerleader. Make people feel good. Learn how to put a smile on someone's face. Typically, when you try to encourage some, somebody, that's what's being at play. But the word encourage, it means to give aid. It means to come alongside, to strengthen somebody so that they can take right action. You want to help them stand firm. If you were to look on how that word came into existence through the Latin and then English, it would literally mean to deposit courage into somebody, to put courage into them. And so this is what Paul is saying. Strengthen them. Strengthen them in their hearts, specifically. Strengthen them in the very core of their being. Strengthen them in the deepest and truest part of who they are. Encourage them there. Now, think about this. Tychicus shows up to Colossae. You've been dealing with false teachers. There's divisions going on here. And he's like, let me tell you all the amazing stuff's doing. So Paul's in a hole in a cell in prison and God is just at work. What? That doesn't sound very victorious, Tychicus. What do you mean God's doing amazing things? Paul's rotting in a hole in the ground, chained to a Roman guard. Some would hear the report of what God has been doing in and through the ministry of the apostle Paul. And they would have more concern than courage. Some would hear that and they would be encouraged. They would have great confidence. Praise be to God. Which is why earlier we saw how he talked about open a door for the word. No, it's great because the whole Praetorian guard is actually going to get the gospel now. I don't know how else we would have got into the, into the military ranks and get the gospel to those guys unless Paul actually got arrested and chained to them. So as Tychicus shows up there, he seeks to encourage their hearts by helping them see the right perspective on the circumstances. How to see what God is doing through the eyes of faith, not the eyes of the flesh. This would also mean that Tychicus would have to be a very mature believer who understands the character and nature of God to help combat what's going on here. So when Paul says, make you know my affairs and encourage you, as he is telling them what's happening, he's also strengthening them by helping them see what God is doing through it. And so in, the, in this first person, Tychicus, we see a picture of a faithful servant of Christ. And that should give each of us hope. Because all of us can be like Tychicus. 
Tychicus wasn't perfect. Tychicus was a sinner, but Tychicus had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Tychicus knew that because Christ lived perfectly, he could now live faithfully. Which means so can we. Because of Christ's perfect life, we can now live a faithful one as beloved brothers and sisters, as faithful servants, and as slaves of Christ. So let me ask the question now. Would you be happy having a Tychicus life? Think about it. Would you be happy having Tychicus' life? A life relatively known by no one. He never wrote any books. He didn't speak at conferences, right? There's no even evidence to show you were a good preacher. But the guy you're in service to, he's getting all the limelight. He's getting all that. Everybody knows Paul. You show up at the letter, like, oh, thanks. Listen to Paul, and you're just kind of there in the corner. Would you be okay with that? Having a Tychicus type life? Is it enough to be known? as a beloved brother or sister, as a trusted messenger, and as a faithful Christian? Or do you want more? Tychicus embodied what we see in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Tychicus, holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he'll be able to exhort in sound doctrine and reprove those who contradict. That's what Tychicus could do. I show up a Paul's letter. I can exhort in sound doctrine. I can correct those who have bad doctrine. I can strengthen the church. I can be faithful in that ministry. And nobody would know me. Is that enough for you? You see, everybody wants to leave their mark in society these days. Everybody wants their 15 minutes in the spotlight. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. But that's actually nowhere in the Bible. God never calls any of us to that kind of life. God calls us to be, God calls us to a faithful life, not a famous life. God calls us to a Tychicus type of life, a life that is in faithful service to our Lord and his bride. We need to stop focusing on our legacy and start focusing on our Lord and what he's calling us to. As a church, we we, we need to take a step back and realize that there is great blessing and purpose in even doing the smallest things faithfully as unto the Lord. That there is great blessing in in being in service to another brother or sister in the Lord, and they may get all the, the, the recognition, but Christ is being magnified. There's great blessing in that. And the fact that you and I do not feel that way at times shows that we're still more focused on our will and desires than on the very will and desire of Christ. So let's think through this. Beloved brother, he was, is what he was called. How are your relationships with God's people? Would you be considered a beloved brother or sister by those in the church? And do you look at others as beloved brothers or sisters? Or are they simply congregants who are a part of your church? Do you think on the men and women of the church with that type of affection that they would be called beloved or are they congregants? And are you living in such a way that you are submitting yourself under the spirit of God, under the word of God, that the very love of Christ can be poured into your hearts, that you can be the kind of brother or sister that is showing love to them. We, as an application point there, we need to make it a point to view each other through the familial adoptive lens of the gospel. He was described as a faithful servant. So again, Another question we have to ask ourselves. See, most people, when they join a church, they do so based on what the church has to offer them. You and I have heard it. We probably, maybe some of us are guilty of saying it. New church, what kind of programs do they have? That's really saying, what kind of programs do they have? How are they going to serve me with what they're doing? Tychicus didn't say, what can the church do for me? Tychicus comes to faith and says, how can I be of service to the church? How can I be of service to the ministry of Christ? 
which is exactly how Jesus lived. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that is how we are to live among one another. Beloved brothers and sisters, in faithful service to one another for the exaltation and promotion of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lived and died for us, and by faith we live and lay our lives down for him and his bride. And then fellow slave, remembering that our life is not our own, we've been bought with a price, and so we should be growing and and trying to discipline ourselves as, as we wake up each morning before our feet hit the ground to ask, what is the will of my master today? That's who I need to be. And that's who I pray you're striving to be. Onesimus is mentioned in verse nine. There's very little here. So God willing, we'll be looking at the book of Philemon one day. So I don't want to say too much, but I want to, to draw our attention to Philemon quickly here. I'm sorry, with uh, Onesimus, not Philemon. Draw our attention to Onesimus. Verse nine, and with him Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who's one of you. They'll inform me about the whole situation here. Let me ask this question. Who is that person in your life when you think about how they're living, you say, there is absolutely no way that person will ever become a follower of Jesus. Just look at their life. There's no way that's going to happen. That's probably what some people in Colossae thought about Onesimus. See, Onesimus, the first thing we see about him is that he was the runaway slave. We read about that in the book of Philemon. It's a, it's a short letter that Paul writes. And in that letter, we see that Onesimus was a slave that belonged to a slave master named Philemon. And Philemon happened to also be a follower of Christ. In Philemon verse 18, it appears that the reason Onesimus ran away was that he had stolen money from his master. And so he takes off. And it was, it was common, he, he took off to Rome. And the reason he went to Rome is because that's a huge city. I can disappear in there and we're good. I can live in the shadows. But then unexpected things happen. And I just love the sovereign irony of God. Because Onesimus shows up at Rome, he took the money, I'm good, never got to see that guy again, I'm clear. And somehow, way, we don't understand how, we're not told in scripture, he ends up with the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul shares the gospel, Onesimus comes to faith in Christ and begins to, to, to serve with Paul. Amazing. This, this close relationship is formed between Paul and Onesimus, so much so that in Philemon 12, it says, I have sent him back to you in person. That is my very heart. This runaway thieving slave who gets saved, Paul says, is my very heart. Verse 16, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. It's amazing. But then, you can just imagine Onesimus's mind just goes into panic mode when he's like, hey, I got to send you back. I got this church in Colossae. And uh, the guy who's actually hosting the church, he's pretty wealthy. His name's Philemon. Um, how about you send the other guy? Right? Think about this. And so they talk, you would imagine, we use some historical imagination, what that conversation could have been like. But the amazing thing is that Onesimus trusts and obeys what Paul commands because Onesimus is trusting and obeying God, Christ. Of all the masters Onesimus could have had, he happened to have the master who was hosting the house church in Colossae. That's a beautiful thing because that shows God's grace because Onesimus comes to faith and imagine if he would have had a cruel pagan master. No, he goes back to a believing one. Omnisimus had to do the right thing before the Lord. He had to go back. He'd broken Roman law. So he trusts and obeys, and he goes with Tychicus, and they go to Colossae. 
And Paul, we see here in Colossians, calls him a faithful and beloved brother. Those two words again, faithful and beloved. It's interesting because Philemon was still a pretty young believer, but he had by his faithfulness proven his worth to, to Paul. And what I find beautiful, he says, faithful and beloved brother. Paul makes no mention of the sin of Onesimus. Makes no mention of it at all. Instead, he refers to him in the same way he referred to Tychicus, faithful and beloved. Why did Paul not mention the sin of Onesimus? Because it's the same apostle Paul who wrote this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul sends him back because he is no longer the rebellious, thieving slave. He is a beloved brother in Christ. Paul doesn't see men and women in light of their past. He sees them in light of their savior. So Onesimus would have to go back. Philemon unpacks that letter that Paul sent with him to the slave master. Tychicus is there to be an advocate for him. But we see the power of the gospel here. In this one verse mentioning Onesimus, we see the power of the gospel because we see that through the perfect life that Jesus lived, his substitutionary death on the cross, and his resurrection three days later, lives are transformed by faith. Because each and every one of us is Onesimus. Each and every one of us are runaway sinful slaves. Put another way, each one of us are Onesimus. The question is, are we the runaway slave Onesimus or are we the redeemed Onesimus? We also see the power of the gospel in Onesimus because by faith in Jesus, not only are we reconciled to God, but we can be reconciled to one another. Slaves become brothers. Sinners become saints. And so you can approach that brother or sister you've wronged. And you can know that the blood of Christ can truly reconcile. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're no longer a slave to sin, but you're a slave to grace. And as slaves of God's grace, we now extend the vertical grace we've received from God horizontally toward one another. A Christian, that withhold, wants, a Christian that chooses to withhold grace from another Christian is probably no Christian at all. Because to withhold grace from another Christian means you are gospel illiterate. Onesimus returned to his master. He took the harder turn, the harder right. He didn't accept cheap grace. He understood that freedom in Christ meant that he's not free to do whatever he wants, but he's free to do whatever Christ commands. In Onesimus, we see that Christ changes us from the inside out and that we should therefore, as a church, big C church, always be striving to be reconciled to one another by the grace that is offered, founded on the truth of God's word. So I have to ask as a church, to each one of you, are you holding the sins of a fellow brother or sister against them and not willing to be reconciled to them? I would encourage you, if you are, that you would repent of that and that you would see them through the lens of the gospel, which means that you would see them as a faithful and beloved brother or sister in the Lord. This morning, we looked at two men who, by the grace of God, had their lives transformed. And as a result, they were focused on being faithful to what God had called them to. Faithful servants. Faithful slaves, faithful couriers, faithful ministers. They sought to be faithful. 
And it is my prayer that it be the same for each one of us, that we would see that by faith in Christ, we have been made new and the spirit of God lives in us as disciples of Christ. And therefore we have everything we need for to live a life of godliness. And we can be faithful to what God has called us to if we are in submission to the Lordship of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And we thank you, Lord, that you do not grade us on our performance. We thank you that we are saved strictly on the merits of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that your love for us doesn't doesn't change, that you love us with the same quality and quantity of love that you have for your son, because when you look upon us, you see us as having lived the righteous life that Christ lived. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were not only faithful, but that you were perfect, and that you have said that for all those who repent and believe in your life, death, burial, and resurrection, that you would therefore have your life lived in and through us. Father, we ask now that you, Holy, by your Holy Spirit, you would help each one of us be and see one another as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. That you would help us be faithful servants instead of selfish consumers. And that you would remind us there isn't a hierarchy of importance, that we are all fellow slaves in the Lord. And so each one of us must be radically committed to doing the will of our master, which is you, Lord Jesus. It is you who gets all the praise and recognition. Help us encourage one another, hold one another accountable, encourage each other in the truest sense of the word to live out these truths by faith. We thank you that in your faithfulness to us, that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And that each week you faithfully minister to us through the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.